It's Thursday, July 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Fool.com, David Hanson. Happy Thursday, gentlemen. Yo. Hey. We will wrap up Earnings Palooza. Uh, by the way, more than 50 companies in the S&P 500 are reporting today. I was going to say, um, it we're covering like a busy them all. Day. <laughs> yeah, we, we will not be covering them all, uh, but we will be talking about uh, a few of the highlights uh, and possibly lowlights. Uh, Visa, Under Armour. General Motors, Duncan Brands, uh, but we will start with the stock of the day, and that is Facebook, which is up 25% this morning after second quarter profit and revenue came in much higher than expected, and mobile ads, Jason, getting all the attention. Mobile ads, which essentially did not exist a year ago, and now are making up 41% of all ad revenue. That's a that's a huge number. Well, it that is, is a that, huge gain going from 0 to 41% in basically a year. And that number will just continue to rise and and that was, you know, the market's reaction today is one of uh, of beating all expectations, right? I mean, a lot of this is just an expectations game and so Facebook brought in higher earnings, higher sales. Uh, mobile advertising went from being 30% of sales up to 41. Uh, to put this in context, I mean, just just to have a little perspective here, uh, Facebook this past quarter made about 60, 655 million in in mobile advertising revenue. Google is going to pull in close to nine billion for the year. Yeah. So I mean, fa- what Facebook is doing is the right thing, obviously, but it is still very early in the game. And and you know we're going to see, I think, over the course of the of the next several years. I mean, it it is all going to mobile, and so there's going to be this big land grab, and and all of these companies are trying to figure out how to effectively monetize that smaller mobile platform. And, and Google has obviously done a great job. They, they, they were one of the first movers in, in the space and have really gotten out to a nice head start. But uh, Facebook is showing that they know what they're doing and there is something to what they're, what they're putting out there and, and the market's reacting accordingly. And David, it seems like there is now, I mean, you just look at the coverage today, there is so they have all the momentum in the world right now, and you know it's probably a great day to be someone who sells ads for Facebook because um, there's all of this momentum and just sort of the whole notion of this is a company that's struggling that kind of thing that that appears to be in the past as is the story from last year where I think it was GM um, said that they were pulling uh, you know a ten million dollar account uh, from Facebook because it wasn't where it seems like to Jason's point. Whether you are looking to sell cars or personal care products or or pizza, um, you almost have to be on Facebook now. All, all the bears are gone. They're all replaced by bulls. And I actually saw some some websites come out today that have been bearish on Facebook, and they were eating crow. They were saying, look, we were proved wrong a little bit, and things were looking good. But when I think about investing in Facebook, why would I invest in it for the next five, ten years? It's not necessarily because their mobile advertising is doing great. I think the story around Facebook, why they carry that such that hefty valuation, is the potential to do other things. Advertising's nice. Advertising's not a what is it, eighty billion dollar company now after right. today's run. Yeah. Um, so it's all about what's next. Um, and that's the uncertainty. That's why so many people hate Facebook. They say, I'm never touching that stock. <laughs> well, some people hate it, the actual experience, and some people hate the stock. Um, so some I think that's uns- both. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but when I look at it, I wouldn't necessarily run to go buy it. But compared to other stocks that jump 30% in a day or 25%, this doesn't turn me off as much because I think just this reaffirms you're basically betting on Mark Zuckerberg and a lot of smart people. Yeah. 
out in California that have 10 plus billion in the bank in cash to play around with and use their brains to put to work. So uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, but there's a lot of excitement. I think that's what's the future for Facebook is. Yeah, to David's point about all of the bears have been replaced by bulls, the number I saw this morning was that no fewer than eight analyst firms had essentially either upped their price target on Facebook or had upgraded their rating on the stock. Uh, now, in at least one case, it was upgrading from a sell to a hold. But, right. uh, uh, but yeah, there are you know the the bears are nowhere to be found today. I don't know. I mean, I'm still I'm not I wouldn't call myself a bear, but I would call myself a certified skeptic where, where Facebook is concerned. And I think David made a really good point there in regard to I don't I wouldn't buy Facebook as an ad play. I mean, to me, one of the biggest problems and hurdles Facebook faces is that advertising essentially detracts from the customer experience, more or less. I think that for Facebook for a long time, it wasn't that way. But as an ad play, they inherently will have to clutter up the user experience in order to make money that way. And and so I, I think that it detracts from the user experience. And there's a concern of mine there because like with Google, for example, advertising seems to fit quite nicely into that search component there because that's what Google is first and foremost. Right. And, and they supplement that with their maps uh, technology, which is also great. But but advertising for Facebook, I think I think clutters it up and detracts from that user experience a little bit. And when we were yeah, – I was going through the call last night looking to get a little bit more clarity on Instagram, for example, and how they plan to monetize that because let's be very clear. The thing doesn't make any money yet. Right. And, and they, they – still were not clear at all as to how it's going to make money. They, don't, they didn't share that strategy other than to say that they have somewhere in the neighborhood of 130 million active users on Instagram today, and their, their priority is to grow that footprint out and then figure out the monetization later. Now, that will clearly be an advertising play, no question there. But then my question becomes, at what point does advertising then clutter up that user experience, which led me to my final thought, Chris. <laughs> And I just I can't was help but we wonder. I can't help but wonder if one day we might not see an Instagram product, a subscription Instagram product, where you can pay for an ad-free experience, a la Pandora. I was just going to say, like, like Pandora. That. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But again, I think that Facebook's problem is that no matter what they do, it comes at the cost of the user, and that's a concern. I think that's that's definitely possible to have a subscription base to avoid the ads. My vision for, for Instagram, and it's just my vision, I'm not on the phone with Mr. Zuckerberg <laughs> discussing these things, although I, I wish I was considering his, I did the calculations, his net worth increased about $4.5 billion this morning. So nice. Not a bad Thursday. Um, but my vision for Instagram is beyond just the traditional ad scrolling through the feed, and there's an ad from, from, say, Target. I don't see it that way. I think there's potential for, you have a picture of your friends, and there's some technology where you can tag the products in the picture, which then people can click through and say, Jason's wearing that shirt. I like that shirt. I'm going to click through and buy that shirt. So I think there's a lot of potential in technology like that. I know there's some some startup firms. I think Google's worked on something like that. I'm sure Facebook has something in the, in the process like that. So just looking beyond just the traditional avenues of, rev, of ad revenue, I think that's going to be the story. So again, it's uncertainty. But you're betting on Zuckerberg and all these smart people out there that they're going to figure out ways to monetize that without ruining that experience. I, that makes sense to me, although um, – and I'm just going to stereotype here. I feel like that's the sort of thing that guys would do. Like, oh, that's a, yeah, that's a nice shirt. I, I feel like w- with women, there's more a sense of I don't – I can't – 
I can't wear the exact same thing that she's wearing. <laughs> oh so my god! Can you believe she's may, wearing that shirt? There may be. I I just bought that shirt, and she, she. I can't believe she bought it. So there there may be a ceiling to that. But, she uh, bought it on sale. <laughs> Visa hitting a new all-time high after third quarter earnings came in higher than expected. Um, the thing that leaped out at me, David, was the uh, and and by all means push back because you, you you are by far uh, much more the financial analyst than I am. The thing that leaped out at me with uh, this story with Visa was the buyback program, mm. a one point five billion. Um, at a time when the stock is hitting an all-time high. Uh, tell me what you thought of their quarter, but then I'm also curious if you think that that might be not the greatest timing in the world. <laughs> when I, every time I look at Visa, look at MasterCard, my, my colleague and I, Matt Kopenheffer, we always look at these two stocks and say, they just look a little too expensive for <laughs> yeah. me. There's so much optimism around it. Everyone just knows the credit card space is going to expand globally. It almost has to. It just doesn't make sense, the amount of cash transactions that are still going on. So there's so much market share. There's so much optimism. But these businesses are also very, they produce a lot of free cash flow. And they use that this quarter to buy back shares. And yes, it's at a a lofty valuation, but it's always been at a lofty valuation. And the stock's up, I think, around 200% since its IPO or something like that. So I don't hate it. I know we've talked about share buybacks, and they could be a terrible thing for shareholders. But when you have a business that's spitting on ca- off cash like this and has a, a great moat and a good outlook, it's it's hard for me to say that's a questionable use of cash. I, I, I don't think it is necessarily. Yeah, and, and to be fair, this is a company that has not been public for such a long time that we can that we have an enormous mm-hmm. uh, amount of uh, information in terms of like what is their historical track record on share buybacks. Um, what do you think of the stock, though? It really does seem, uh, I think it's our colleague Bill Mann who coined the term uh, the awesomeness continuum. And he's first and foremost a value investor, but there are those companies, and we're going to be talking about one of them shortly uh, in Under Armour, there are those companies that he looks at and just goes, well, they're just, yes, it's, the, yes, it goes against the grain, of, you know, it goes against my nature as a value investor, but this is such an awesome company. Yeah, I mean, so I'm not a value investor, so I don't look at things necessarily from that perspective. Uh, Dave and I were chatting before we started taping, and, and when you look at these companies like Visa and MasterCard, they don't ever really look cheap, but you have to you have to really look beyond that valuation to to their competitive advantage, right? Their position in their industry. And, and those electronic payments companies, I mean, Visa and MasterCard in particular, just have these moats that are almost unassailable. I mean, they are literally just toll booths that just pick up a little bit of money with every transaction that rings up. So there's a reason why they never look dirt cheap, because they don't deserve to ever be dirt cheap. Uh, they do a good job with the share buybacks in regard to keeping their earnings numbers uh, in check. You know, that's that's they're very straightforward about that on the calls. So, I mean, it could be a better use of cash maybe if they want to pump the dividend up a little bit. But but at the end of the day, these are companies that are just as reliable as the sun coming up. And, and as far as whether you choose Visa or MasterCard, I am a big proponent of just taking all of the money that you want to put in that in that market and just split it between the two of them. Buy a little bit of both and you'll be just fine. Uh, David, when you look across the you know the finance industry, wh- what does it normally take to? Because I'm thinking of you know maybe someone listening to this and thinking, okay, it sounds like a great company. I hear everything these guys are saying, but I'd like a. <laughs> I don't want to buy it at an all time high, if only for the principle of the matter. What does it take to knock a Visa or a Mastercard down a significant amount? You know, five 
even ten percent? Is it is it just a bad earnings quarter? Is it is it just a bad single quarter? Is there something broadly in the finance where they sort of get caught up in in the ripple effect? I think one overhang that's over these stocks from really keeping them from just being totally everyone being optimistic on them is the regulation part of it because a lot of the the fees they collect. That gets the interest of a lot of regulators, a lot of legislators, when these two companies that are basically the only two players in the world uh, yep. from this scale, they're collecting a lot of fees on these customers, between customers and merchants. So they're facilitating the transaction and they, they get a fee on that. So when regulators, they might think that's a little unfair. They're collecting a little too much. I'm going to take a stand on this. That is a risk. Uh, so if that becomes a big headline risk, whether it actually is in the end, damaging to the companies financially is another thing. But that could be a thing that drops these stocks a couple of percentage points, 5 10%. You're rooting for Uncle Sam to announce an investigation. That's basically well, what you're and, saying. And the, the thing is, it's not just Uncle Sam. It can be the EU. Yep. It can be places in, in Asia. So there's a lot of regulatory risk, um, yeah, the, headline risk more so than maybe financial risk. EU just took a stance on this. They just uh, put out a white paper with a stance on capping those fees and you know, it's it's the thing is these companies hold so they hold so many of the cards that it ultimately just becomes kind of a negotiation at the end of the day. Works out for everybody. Under Armour um, also hitting a new all time high this morning, up nine ten percent. Second quarter profit more than doubled. They raised sales guidance. Um, it's the flops, Chris. It's the yes, yes. It's for the our white dozens of listeners, blinding flops. Jason walking around the office these days in his Under Armour flip flops. You know, we're celebrating this because Under Armour is my, – my daughters have picked Under Armour as the next stock they want to buy. And so, nice. uh, you know, we – I stipulated after earnings was over and we finished covering it, I'll let our uh, obligatory uh, time pass before I'm able to buy the stock and, and we'll add it to their portfolio. But but uh, you mentioned Bill Mann kind of referring to that awesomeness yeah. factor and, and I think that uh, that Under Armour possesses that. I think this is really one of the first brands I've seen in a long time that I believe – will uh, be sort of the next Nike, so to speak. I think it is the the Nike of of our generation, of the up-and-coming generation as well. They've got a a founder in Kevin Plank who is just married to the success of this business, and the quarter just killed it in every way. I mean, it beat on earnings, beat on revenues, sales up. They guide up. Margins are up. I mean, inventory levels are in check. Just they're doing a lot of really good things, and I think they have just really – they have developed a wonderful brand uh, in, in the sporting world, and and I just, you know, I'm I'm torn here because I was hoping the stock would tank. Really, <laughs> I was hoping it would tank so I could get a better price. But uh, you know, I think the market is reacting appropriately. This is one of those companies that I think has a long, bright future ahead of it. Uh, David, to Jason's point about Kevin Plank, and I don't own shares of Under Armour, but he does strike me. The more I learn about him, as one of those. One of those business leaders, one of you know that type of management, because management matters to us. One of those leaders you like to see running your company if you own the stock, because he just seems so invested and also so focused. I mean, I love Jeff Bezos over at Amazon, <laughs> but from time to time, Jeff Bezos. What are you notes, focused on today? His focus tends to wander. Not always, but every once in a while it will, and and that makes me a little nervous. But Kevin Plank just strikes me as one of those guys who is just so focused on the success of his company. Absolutely, and I think they're focused on not just copying Nike. Jason mentioned Nike. I think they're they're creating their own little brand. It's their products look different. They feel different than yeah. than just the Nike brands. If you think back to when Reebok was a bigger player, Reebok was kind of just a 
not as good Nike. Yeah. <laughs> under, yeah. I mean, Under Armour, they look different. It's a different feel. And you look at some of the the athletes that they have wearing their brand. It's more of that that young, up-and-coming athlete. You have Bryce Harper here at the Nationals. He's an Under Armour athlete. Yeah. Cam Newton of the Carolina Panthers. They're kind of this younger, hipper brand. Um, but that certainly doesn't take away from Nike. I'm personally a Nike shareholder. And while I would be happier if Under Armour wasn't, wasn't around and taking market share, I'm not necessarily super nervous that Under Armour is going to just squash all of all of Nike's dreams and my investment goals in the future. Because <laughs> I think Nike still has a great positioning. They still have a lot of athletes. Uh, a guy named LeBron James is still wearing yes. Nike swoosh. And I saw um, in the news, he's over, actually over in China, and there were pictures of him at, he was at a, a shoe f- uh, conference kind of promoting his shoe. And it was just thousands of and thousands of kids and adults lined up to see him. So when you just look at the global presence of these brands, I think there's definitely space for them both to win. One thing that'll be interesting to see as college football season kicks off, um, because Under Armour, based in the Baltimore area and the the very tight relationship they have with the University of Maryland and Nike, it's the University of Oregon, you can pretty much count on uh, two of the more noteworthy uh, and possibly... um, uh, Eye hurting, <laughs> at least for for Let's old eyes honest. like mine. Let's be honest. Some of those uniforms that, but it, it it is interesting to see just sort of how they come out with these new uniforms. That um, t- you know, to the point both of you made about the next generation. You know, for someone like me who's old, I, I, I'm just like, oh god, I could never wear something that bright. But for for younger, you know, for kids in high school coming up, um, it is the next big thing. So it is interesting to see. Um, moving on, General Motors second quarter profit. $1.2 billion, better than expected. Uh, David, you look across the different regions, very strong in North America. South America, uh, sales were more than three times what they did a year ago. And Europe, even though they lost money in Europe, they lost a lot less than they did a year ago. And as we were talking about recently with Ford, it really seems like GM is really turning the corner and getting getting their house in order over in Europe. And that, that seems to be making a huge difference for them. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, you talk about them turning the corner. I don't think it's going to be a, a sharp corner. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be a sharp turn in the car for GM. More or like a Ford. cul-de-sac. I mean, we've been, we've been talking for a couple of years now just about the pent-up demand. We're saying these, these car companies, they have to come back. I think that is true, but it's not going to be just one month, one quarter. It all turns around and everything looks great all over the world. Um, I think the stock was trading a little bit lower this morning, but I thought I thought the earnings were encouraging. Uh, they're committed to having a strong balance sheet, something that they didn't have before. And right. they had a question about, would you guys consider issue, or issuing a dividend, bringing that back in the picture? And they basically said, we want to invest in our, in our business and, and retire some debt, have a strong financial position. We're going to keep issuing uh, or developing new cars and, and selling those. So I think there's there's a lot to like from a long-term shareholder's perspective. Maybe the next couple quarters might be a little rough. Who knows? But over the next five, ten years, I think there's some things to like here. Well, and, and the icing on the cake, as we were talking about before we started taping, the uh, the Chevy Impala was just named the sedan of the year. And obviously, that's great for GM, but also the first time in 20 years that an American car was named sedan of the year. So. You know, you've made this point before about Ford. uh, Just the whole notion of, hey, why don't you focus on making cars that people actually like, (laughs) that people want to drive? And it seems like GM is is moving in that direction. Well, I think you have to. I mean, you have to at least keep your eye on on the 
on on what consumers are looking for, right? I mean, it's it's obviously a big world, and they play to more than just this domestic market. But the domestic market is a big deal, and you know, you look at the market share numbers; they don't lie. Certainly, GM lost market share the past year, and, and Ford has gained market share. Um, but you know, I mean, that's GM's going to keep on doing what they're doing, and I think if they can uh, replicate efforts like they they made with the Impala, then they should see some light at the end of the tunnel. You can follow us on Twitter, at MarketFoolery is our handle, um, in response to our conversation the other day about the uh, uh, the Bitcoin Ponzi scheme <laughs> uh, that the man in Texas is accused of running. Um, got a, a message on Twitter from uh, Matthew Luke, who writes, "EX uh, the EX currency app update just added bitcoins to its currency list. I thought this was a joke at first. Is the whole world insane? I don't think the whole world is insane, but maybe the app developers at XE Currency are. Some of it, yeah. Really? Anyway. Uh, I hope not in, in five, ten years everyone's going to be on Bitcoin and we're going to look like idiots t- talking it down now. <laughs> you know what? You never I, know, but I, I hope that doesn't I've been, I've I've been willing r- to step up and call myself wrong if that's the case. I <laughs> I've been no wrong. Problem. Long-time listeners know I've been wrong about plenty of things. I don't think I'm wrong about <laughs> this one, but but time will tell. Yep. Time will tell. Uh, Duncan Brand's second quarter profits more than doubled. Uh, Same-store sales were up 4%, but uh, overall revenue was slightly below expectations. Shares down a little bit this morning. Um, I, I don't know what to think anymore about, about the business and therefore the stock, um, because it, it seems like, j- just in terms of broad strokes, expansion in the United States should be relatively easy to execute just yeah. when you look at the sort of the northeastern region relative to west of the Mississippi and yet I, I know it's obviously not that simple. Yeah, and I mean we've talked about this before, you know, Dunkin Donuts is somewhat of a regional place, so they're looking to make that expansion out to the west and and I mean that'll work to a degree. I mean maybe it doesn't resonate everywhere. Um I I mean I think one of their fundamental problems is that they, you know, they they're, they're Hawking donuts, man. I mean, at some point or another, people just decide, well, those things aren't that good for you, or they're at least going to minimize their donut intake. Uh, now, to Duncan's credit, they certainly are expanding their menu in, yeah. in a lot of great ways. I mean, I, I every time I go into one, I am really astounded by the number of additions they have them. And so I think it's becoming more things to more people, and that's great. Uh, obviously, Dunkin' Donuts coffee is resonating with a lot of consumers, and they kind of fell right in sort of the middle there between the Panera and Chipotle earnings as far as same-store sales go. And, and and the restaurant industry as a whole has been witnessing some headwinds. But they certainly were able to control costs, which was which was good to see. And, and I mean, it's Dunkin' Donuts. It's obviously a very powerful brand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the number that stood out to me was Baskin-Robbins same-store sales were up 4.6%. I cannot remember the last time someone has said, let's go down to Baskin Robbins. I don't know who, go- who goes to Baskin Robbins. I go to Baskin Robbins. There's, sure. the f- yeah, there's one over by our neighborhood. We'll take the girls there. But I mean, I would say, admittedly, we go there probably five times a year. Right? I, I, thought, mean, I just... thought Froyo has taken over the ice yeah. cream play, but I guess not. You know what? In terms of broad themes, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, there was an article, um, I think in the New York Times, maybe it was the journal, about the overwhelming expansion of frozen yogurt and how ice cream sales in the U.S. have been, you know, dented as a result of that. Uh, but the the chocolate chip over at uh, Baskin-Robbins, that is uh, by far, I think, the the best chocolate chip. And, and you're right, Jason, they are, Duncan Brands has done a great job of expanding beyond donuts, but it's nice to see 
that they haven't gotten away completely. And I refer to the announcement from the chairman and CEO, Nigel Travis, uh, at Duncan Brands, um, announcing or celebrating the royal arrival of His Royal Highness Prince of Cambridge. Uh, so the royal baby. George Alexander Lewis. George. Prince George. And so in his honor, in honor of the new prince, the royal munchkin has been unveiled. This is a a new munchkin, which is, uh, and again, I'm reading right from the press release here, gently dipped in pink, blue, and white sprinkles, representing traditional new baby colors. It's available in a variety of quantities, including 25 and 50 count boxes. I mean, because what's better than one royal baby munchkin? I just 50. I just want to point out one thing that that we we give the we give the UK a hard time about the royal baby thing that it grabbing all the headlines. We forget that the US is a little ridiculous too with babies at times. I mean, Octomom. That, that grabs some headlines. So, sure. yeah, uh, I mean, along that line, I'm really baby. surprised they didn't have a munchkin for Kim Kardashian's baby. I mean, that's just yeah, you're well, right. Th- this is a royal baby. That's... Well, I mean, you know, somehow or another, the Kardashians are perceived as royalty over here. Oh, uh, figured no, out. But... No, I, th- you know, I, I, and interestingly enough, because this country was formed by people leaving the UK <laughs> and saying we want to get away from the monarchy, but there is there is. Um, an inordinately large amount of interest in the royals, uh, the UK royals. Well, that was always the the play towards the Kennedys, right? They yeah. they were our version of royalty. Still, never figured that one out. You know what the Kennedys never had? Their own Munchkin. That's right. Not go. yet. All right, David Hanson, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you on Monday. 